Hello, and welcome to Raising Eco-Minimalists, a podcast that acts as a community for those who are raising kids who care about their mind, body, and the earth. I'm Laura, your host, mom to a five-year-old and self-described anxious eco-minimalists. Thanks for joining. Hello and welcome to the Raising Eco-Minimalist podcast. Today I am joined by Jess Purcell of Thoughtfully Sustainable. Jess, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thanks for having me, Laura. I'm so excited to be here. I am super excited as well. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got to where you are today? Sure. So um, my background is a high school science teacher and I taught science um, in the high school classroom for about 10 years. And because of my husband's career choice, those 10 years were spent teaching all over the United States. We're moving all over the place. And I realized as I was teaching science in various parts of the country, the best way to teach chemistry and biology was really to connect my students to the environment that they were living in. So like, for example, we lived in North Carolina on coastal Carolina for uh, about four years and I was teaching chemistry and I was doing a unit about acids and bases, you know, like the typical acids, bases, pH stuff. And I realized that to connect them to the importance of it, instead of just going through this like monotonous acid and basic chemistry, I really should start talking to them about what they knew and what they knew was fishing in the ocean. And so I started talking to them about ocean acidification and how an acidic ocean can actually negatively affect the fisheries that their families or they themselves depended on for their livelihood. Because a lot of my students would, after class, would then go out and, and fish for a couple hours and sell their catch to small markets in the area. And so fast forward to now, after teaching for 10 years, having two kids, um, I realized that that connection of environment to your own learning um, was really going to be critical to raising my own kids. And I wanted to apply that same basic principle of explaining the science behind the sustainable living choices that we make as a family in the hopes of making more of an impact on my kids. Because I saw that making that connection to the environment with my students really seemed to like turn light bulbs on. And so ideas of like with my kids, why we compost, why we turn the lights off when we leave a room why we take our cloth bags to the grocery store. As simple as those tasks may be, explaining the why behind that kind of led me to this teaching platform for my own kids and then has transpired into something I thought other parents might be interested in and there birthed the idea of Thoughtfully Sustainable. That is so brilliant. And as somebody who struggled in chemistry. Oh, everybody um, did. I struggle yeah. Like <laughs> until you teach it, you don't know it, you know? Yeah, yeah, but that's um it's that's so amazing to connect it to like you were saying real life examples. What better way to really understand the concept? So, you mentioned thoughtfully sustainable. I have to admit, it's probably one of my top favorite Instagram accounts. It's like I'm constantly in awe of the experiments and the stuff that you're coming up with. They're so fun and amazing. Can you tell us a little bit about Thoughtfully Sustainable, um, the Instagram account, and I know you also have a blog by the same name. Yeah, well, thank you. That compliment means so much coming from you, Laura. I really appreciate that. Um, So Thoughtfully Sustainable is really a platform I decided to create to try and explain the science 
behind the common questions of why that lurks behind all of these sustainable living choices that I've chosen to make and that many people have chosen to make, including you. So although many of the activities that I create that are written for kids to understand, I'm actually targeting adults. So I'm kind of being sneaky because I'm writing these lessons so that kids can understand it so that you could explain to your child why we compost or why we avoid all of the single-use plastic at the grocery store. But really what I want to do is to make the science behind, say, composting so, so simplistic yet factual so that if kids can understand it, then maybe the adults in their lives will truly understand the importance of that practice. And if they're not already, they may choose to adopt that practice. Yeah. And I think that is one of the reasons why I find your content so engaging because it is definitely something that both kids and parents can learn from. Uh, One particular experiment that I was really drawn to was your one that you co-taught with science teacher mom, the gummy bear and salt one, and equating that to how uh, road, road salt can affect our waters. And being from Minnesota, I mean, road salt is something that we use six months out of the year. And that was, I think, probably just as informative for me as it would have been for my son. Oh, I'm glad. I'm really glad. That's my hope. I'm hoping that if I can make factual science-based activities or provide answers to those super curious kids, and I mean, all humans, let's face it, everyone, humans are curious creatures. And so if I can create the simple answers of why, because we're always asking why this, why that, then maybe, just maybe, as parents or as adults, more people will choose those paths. Absolutely. I totally agree. It's it's much easier to care about something that you feel a connection to. So Absolutely. And you understand, uh, so then you can like justify to other people when you're, you know, <laughs> schlepping your banana peels home from a picnic and people say, why are you doing that? You can say, well, because I don't want to make methane gas because that makes the environment that much easier to hold heat. You know, simple, a simple two-liner. And someone might say, huh, okay, you know, <laughs> maybe. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> yeah well, and it, I think it also helps kids physically see a particular experiment the the methane gas I guess reaction you know whereas otherwise we can talk to them about it and talk to them about it but it, it's really hard for them to make that connection yeah absolutely so one of the th- ways that you describe kind of what you do is sustainable or sustainability science what is that and why do you think it's important I'm glad you asked that question because I actually looked up the official definition of sustainability science because it is a relatively, in the world of science, a relatively uh, newer field of research. And it's described as really dealing with the interactions between natural and social systems and how those interactions affect the challenge of sustainability. So like being able to meet the needs present and future generations while substantially reducing poverty and conserving the planet's life support systems. So when we're talking about sustainability, 
and science, we're really trying to find a balance between the interactions between natural and social systems in order to maintain a livable planet. I am all over that definition. I love that. I seen the term sustainability science on your Instagram and blog. That was really the first time I'd heard that, but I really appreciate how it pretty much is an automatic draw into the social issues, which many of us know we can't have environmental justice without social justice without racial you know exactly that and and so I that's that's awesome I love that term yeah I love it too because it it definitely represents who is being disproportionately affected by the environmental issues that we have and that just it just can no longer be hidden you know it needs to be up front so that we can all address it together as a community. And we'll get uh, into kind of that topic in just a little bit. I just have one more question I want to ask before we do. Um, So we've touched a little bit about some of the benefits of getting kids to make that connection with science and their personal lives or with nature, but uh, can you share some other benefits of having kids make that connection, uh, specifically as it relates to the climate crisis? Oh, absolutely. So first, just fostering a love of nature in your kids, and then being able to back that up with science to strengthen their critical thinking skills. I feel that once kids are aware of how interconnected they are and how they are dependent upon the rest of the natural world, they'll truly learn to consider community over self. And it's so easy to be self-focused. I know everyone falls into it. And if we can foster that, those critical thinking skills and those looking at the community as a whole at such a young age, the leaders of tomorrow that we can create today will be fantastic. I am like doing a little dance over here. <laughs> I am just resonating so much with, okay, so I absolutely love the connection of helping our kids move away from the individualistic thinking and let's face it our society as a very generalized description i know not everybody is but uh and and more thinking about the community that we live in whether that's socially or within nature but i think we many of us know that science and nature are not accessible for everyone it can be easy for us to say like oh just go outside or you know, just watch some YouTube videos or something, but that's not the case for everybody. So you talk a lot about making science and nature accessible for all. And I'm wondering if you could share some ways that are that science and nature are inaccessible right now. Sure. So I constantly have to remind myself that I can't take for granted the fact that I grew up in a house, a little house in Pennsylvania that was nestled in the woods. So Nature was my backyard. It was my playground. And now I'm raising my kids in a suburban neighborhood with a backyard that abuts an orchard. But I have to constantly remind myself that for so many children, nature is this place that you have to take a bus or a train to get in. You know, it's not in your backyard. It's a place to go to. Or green spaces might be blocks away or miles away. And then Once you're there, it may be no more than a forgotten swing set, maybe a few trees. Uh, The same goes for science. Again, how much and what depth of science is taught in your school varies widely 
depending on the resources of your school district. If your school district is in decline, uh, and decline meaning test scores are not agreeable, obviously there's going to be a huge push towards science and math. And unfortunately, at no fault of any educators or anyone in general as a whole, science will fall by the wayside. And so there's a disproportionate inaccessibility to both getting out into nature and getting exposed to good science right in front of you. Yeah. And I think of places where it's not safe for kids to go outside, or I think the pandemic was a fantastic example. I know, and I'm sure it happened in the United States, but I specifically thinking of um, in Spain when they were not even allowed to go outside. And so you had all these families that were stuck in apartments um, or houses and they couldn't go anywhere. Absolutely. So it, again, I, you know, I think this is such an important topic and piece that we really do need to consider when we make claims like, Oh, well just go outside, you know, as it's really not that easy for everybody. Right. Right. Or so, safe. Like you bring up, it may not yeah. be safe for you to walk to the green space that is blocks away. I mean, if, if you could even walk there. Yeah, absolutely. What are some ways that you are working towards making nature and science more accessible? Well, I'm trying. Um, I'm been, I've been for the past, I guess, a year and a half um, creating just some free, simple science lessons that you can do with your kids or with your students with items you find in your house. So no fancy equipment needed um, to be able to explain some simple science concepts that relate to sustainability um, and also trying to design nature activities that you don't need access to natural parks to be able to fall in love with nature. You know, just creating things that maybe allow you to go out in your balcony and really be able to take in whatever outside is for your particular situation. Um, I've also started hosting some free and some pay what you wish classes online to try to teach the science of sustainability, especially for parents that maybe aren't comfortable you know, with some of the topics to be able to make that science as, as accessible um, as it can be. Yeah, that's awesome. One of the classes that you're organizing is going to be uh, revolving around Earth Day, and it's with a ton of amazing content creators. Yeah. And this podcast is not going to be released in time, from my understanding, to register for that, but I did sign up for it, and so um, I'll be sharing as uh, it happens. But... Oh, good. And you can. You can actually still register oh. because we're taping everything. Um, you can register until the... It's a three-day event. You can actually register until that third day, the Saturday which is the bulk of our um, workshops are on Saturday because everyone's home. And then you get access to everything because we're taping everything. So so you can, if you're listening awesome. now, you yeah. can still register. <laughs> Thank you for clarifying that. Oh, no um, problem. <laughs> yeah, no, that's super exciting. So yeah, it's, um, I mean, there are, how many, is there 12, nine um, there, there are eight women. Eight. Um, we've got scientists, we have educators, we have business women, we have sustainability advocates. And we've all come together to donate our time to be able to create some really cool hands-on workshops for all ages from 
preschool kids all the way to adults and families, all centering around topics of sustainability. So, and all the proceeds go, or all the profits go to a really cool organization called Backyard Base Camp, which is founded by a woman named Atia Wells. And she is doing amazing work in her community in Baltimore, Maryland, where she's actually transforming an old park that has been abandoned um, and making it a nature education center and a community garden space for the entire community. So it's a, it's a pretty fun initiative. I'm excited to be a part of it. That's incredible. So going back to quickly the Earth Day event, I will pull, I will put the link to register in the show notes if anyone's listening um, this week and wants to sign up. And then I'm glad you mentioned... Uh, that organization. I hadn't heard of it until you were sharing it on Instagram and I immediately started following them and have just been blown away by the work that she and you know the organization is doing. And I'm glad you mentioned that. I will link to their uh, website as well. But are there other people or organizations that you're aware of that you really love that are working towards making nature and science accessible? Uh, yes, definitely. You mentioned her before, the woman that I've been teaching mostly with, uh, her name's Medina Eatman, and she's um, known on the web as Science Teacher Mom. She's a fellow science teacher. She teaches during the day. She's actively teaching during the day, high school science. Um, she teaches teaches in the Bronx in New York City. And then on her off hours, which I don't think she has off hours because she's got two boys as well. She actually creates at-home science kits for parents um, that she sends to them so that kids can discover the wonder of science with kits in their boxes. And she and I have partnered together to really try to make more outdoor lessons because in discussions that we've had, you know, she said, you know, she, the kids that she teaches, their outside is maybe their balcony. You know, there there isn't the accessibility that suburban me has. You know, in suburban Pennsylvania, you know, there is there aren't backyards, and and so we've been trying to really work hard to make sure that we're creating things together that you know speak to all kids. And she's been really um, inspirational to me to make sure that I'm considering everyone's situation which has been great. I learned about her from you as well. And I started following her and I'll link to her website as well because she does a ton of amazing content as well. Yeah, it's so fun. I keep trying more of the things that she shares. I'm like, oh my gosh, I didn't even think of this. Like she's got yeah. balloons and water and all of a sudden there's, you know, she's got a great science experiment. It's amazing. Teachers can always learn from other teachers. I mean, people can learn from other people, but it is amazing. If you can start sharing your information, everybody's the wiser for it. Absolutely. I agree with that. What are some ways that we, I say we as parents or guardians, people who are raising eco-minimalists with and without kids, how can we work to make science and nature more accessible in our own area? I love this question. I would say if you have kids or you are with kids, go explore with them. Go outside with them. You know, simply doing something like download the iNaturalist app or any nature app you like. That's one I tend to use. It's free. The next time you go on a walk and ask them to identify five plants together with you, you know, or count how many different bird sounds you hear. Allow them to see that nature isn't a place to visit. Uh, you don't have to go somewhere and have this destination trip to be in nature, but rather that it's just their world outside their door. And if you do that with them, you're really going to be able to foster that love and appreciation for their world. And then from there, let their curiosity drive their questions like plant some herb seeds and care for them and then use them in a meal or let them see that the connection 
to growing food can happen inside their kitchen. Don't be afraid to ask why with your kids and don't be afraid to not know the answer because you need kids need to see that you don't know everything because then they don't have that high expectation for themselves that they need to know everything. Show them instead how you can find the answers and how to find factual answers and do it together because I think if nothing else in this world where we are inundated with information that may be true or may be false, if you can show them how you find information, that is key to being able to once again establish those good critical thinking skills and problem solving skills in your kids. And now you asked too, if you don't have kids, well, there's so much you can do. Reach out to your local school or community center. See if they have any science or nature projects that they could use supplies for, or maybe your time. And when I say supplies, as a former teacher in the high school, like sometimes all I honestly needed were egg cartons because we were designing some sort of something, you know, that involved egg cartons. So donating supplies doesn't mean a monetary donation. It could just mean saving plastic cups to be able to donate to your local school. Does your local school have a science fair? Do they compost? Do they need donations or donations of time with their projects? Another thing you can do if you don't have kids, um, but you want to be able to start helping in this way, there are so many, and Laura, you talk about this all the time. I love that you do this, is you always mentioning the free local libraries in your area. You know, donate some nature books or some science books to a free local library or start putting some seeds in a local library, a free local library, or reach out to your community library and see if they'd be willing to purchase some additional nature books. Volunteer your time at Big Brothers and Big Sisters or organizations like that in your area that can help get kids out in nature. There are so many ways, whether you have kids yourself or not, that you can be able to help foster kids' love of nature and science at your fingertips. Yeah, these are all amazing suggestions, and thank you for all the ideas. I wanted to go back quickly. I really appreciated that you specified it's okay to not know the answer. I think that was something that I struggled with when my son was younger. I felt like I was supposed to know everything, but he started asking all these really in-depth questions and, <laughs> and, you know, we just started looking at guidebooks or, you know, looking on an app or online and learning about things. And that actually became really fun. Uh, something for us to do together. And now if he asks a question, I don't know, like he, it's not unusual for him to go and grab the bird book or something, you know, and then we'll go and look together. Um, but I feel like that is something that parents do sometimes feel pressured about. <laughs> and and it, it, yeah, it's okay to together. And as you said, it's important to teach them how to look for that information. Absolutely. I take the pressure off yourself. We can't yeah. know it all. We're lucky if, I mean, they're dressed, they're fed, they're washed. Like <laughs> you got that down. Then pat yeah. yourself in the back and lean on an app or a book because right. <laughs> it's too hard. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And I also think it's important. You mentioned uh, this as well, but kind of let them lead. That's something that I'm, I feel like I'm constantly working on with my son when we go on walks uh, because I'll be like, come on, let's go. Okay. One minute. Okay. Let's, you know, and I'm, tr I, I constantly feel like I'm rushing him and it's taken me a lot of patience <laughs> to just kind of sit and let him explore on his own. And it's amazing the things that he finds, the stuff that I would have never seen. So I think that's a really important piece that you mentioned as well. 
Yeah, no, you're so true. I've fallen victim to that so many times because we've probably picked that walk because we know there's a certain thing that they would love to see, like the waterfall or the, I don't know, you know, the really cool something. And they get down in the dirt playing with the rocks, like five feet into the walk. You're like, no, 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 but I really want you to see this thing. When really, it doesn't matter what you see. They're loving outside. So yeah, you're totally right. I am such a victim of that as well. (laughs) Yeah. And I remember this past winter, we went out for to snowshoe as I try I'm trying really hard to integrate more winter activities for him because growing up I I didn't really like winter that much and I was so crabby that day and (laughs) I was just like I was short and we rushed through it and we got home he's I don't like snowshoeing and I'm just like oh man you know like so we had to kind of start over, but if anyone listening has dealt with that, you're not alone. <laughs> Sometimes it's hard to like slow down and just let them do their thing. So yes, it is. So I have three questions that I am going to ask every guest. So I want to jump into those before we wrap up here. And the first one is, uh, what is your biggest challenge raising eco-minimalists or eco-kids right now? I find that the minimalist part is tough as I feel I foster the concept that materials have value too much (laughs) because I'm like, you know, we don't waste We must value the things that come into our home. So now, Laura, it's even a struggle to part with a cardboard box or a bottle cap because they've got plans for it and they want to do this with the cardboard box and then they want to make this. I'm like, oh my goodness, luckily I have a basement so we can store all of these things. But in terms of minimalism, I have a D minus because we save all of these things. So I'm struggling. Yeah, it is hard to kind of fall in a balance with between those two movements for sure. So you're definitely not alone there. Yeah, <laughs> good. Uh, and one one big pain point that I hear all the time from other people raising eco minimalists is balancing the time saving slash convenience items that often come with kids, uh, which usually aren't super sustainable, and balancing that with living a more eco-friendly life. So do you have tips or how do you do that? Yeah, I have just decided I'm not beating myself up for buying the box of cookies wrapped in plastic this week because honestly, it probably means that we were able to have more time outside and less time of me in the kitchen and the kids trying to help me bake or you know them on screens because I was trying to make all of the things to avoid the plastic. So I've just decided that in order for us to maintain this long-term, for this to truly be a sustainable lifestyle, you have to have a healthy, realistic outlook on the long-term goals with living eco-consciously. Because as you and I both know, you know, individual actions are very important. However, fostering community awareness of systematic changes that need to occur is much more impactful. So yeah, if I buy the plastic wrap cookies or we buy all the the fruit snacks this week, it probably means I now have a little bit more time that I can sit down with you on a podcast or maybe attend a local community meeting where we're actually talking about environmental concerns of my local community. So, you know, it's a balance and I'm okay with 
balancing it with a little bit of plastic or some throwaway stuff. It's, that was very well said. I agree 100%. And I think not only time, but also mental energy, which is something that I am very conscious of trying to preserve for myself. So yes. yeah. Yeah. And then what are some of your other favorite eco-minimalist or eco-kid resources besides your own? Well, I mean, obviously I love your stuff. (laughs) You've got, for everyone listening, obviously you already know Laura and her Reduce, Reuse, Renew blog is truly is awesome. And I've told honesty, Laura, I don't think I've read anyone else that does more researched posts than you do. And it's always so factual. And I feel like I can confidently go by the information that you provide me. Um, and that is such a time saver. Yourself, I really also love Honestly Modern's blog. She does an excellent job of sourcing some specifically where I go to her, I go to her for all kinds of things, but specifically for um, reading lists for nature books and sustainability books for kids. She's got a fantastic resource of all kinds of books that I've I've checked out so many from the library uh, based on her recommendations. I also really like Lindsay. She has an Instagram account, Simply Sustainable Parenting. Lindsay's blog and Instagram account is an excellent balance of living sustainably with young kids and keeping your own self-care in mind. I glean a lot of inspiration from her account. And then I also really like Sarah Robertson Barnes has a website. Uh, sustainable in the suburbs and she's also on instagram as sarah robertson barnes and she does a really good job of talking about big big issues with kids she's a she has a great technique of being able to explain big hard topics at levels that kids can understand and i get a lot of good information from her as well i would agree with all of those ladies they're fantastic and i will link to each of their websites and instagram accounts in the show notes and second thank you so much for the kind words that truly means a lot coming from you i so i really appreciate is there anything else that we didn't cover that you want to share no just get outside explore and foster curiosity in your kids whether they're your kids or somebody else's kids in the neighborhood teach them and show them to love nature. And then, you know, if we love it, we'll protect it. So if they fall in love with it, then we can work together with them to protect it for their generations and generations to come. Absolutely. Well, Jess, thank you so much for coming on and taking the time to share your wisdom with us today. Oh, thanks for having me, Laura. It was wonderful chatting with you. Thank you so much again for tuning in today. If you enjoyed the episode, please consider subscribing, leaving a review on Apple Podcasts, and sharing. These three things are the best way to ensure that the podcast reaches other people who are trying to raise eco-minimalists. Additionally, you can find me on Facebook, Instagram, as well as the link to join the Facebook community group, all in the show notes. Finally, don't forget that you can become a member of the podcast and receive benefits such as extra bonus episodes, episodes a day early, learn about guests ahead of time, and lots more. The link to becoming a member or to find out more info is also in the show notes. Oh, and one last thing. Don't forget that in order for sustainable living to be sustainable, it has to be sustainable for you. Until next time. Bye.